Well, hey, thanks for, for coming back and joining us as we continue our, our study through First Peter. Uh, hope that you're enjoying our time together through this, this great book. Uh, I've, I've enjoyed just, you know, studying at least through the, the first part of it, kind of outlining the whole book. And uh, we're focusing on this, this idea of being recruited. If you look at the beginning of the book, it talks a lot about how we are chosen by God and when we get to next week, we're going to talk in chapter 2 of verse 9 about how we're chosen for a purpose, and that is to be taken out of our mess to make him known. So that's how we've come up with recruited out of our mess to make him known is kind of the theme as we go through the book together. Uh, the people who were, who were living during the time when Peter wrote this were going through some trials and some struggles. They were in a messy situation, not only personally, but the church itself was in a messy situation when it had to deal with a lot of different things such as uh, persecution for their faith. And so we're excited to be able to work through this 2,000 years later and still see that there are things that apply to us today. Now, one of the things you're going to see about us as a church behind us, we have involving people in the life of Christ, involving Christ in the lives of people. That's what we're about. That's what we want to try to do is, is help us get immersed more into Christ and help Christ be immersed into your life. And so that's one of our goals as we sing songs, as we, uh, as we pray, and as we look in God's Word together. So that's what we're going to be doing as we move forward. Uh, just kind of to start off, I've got a, star, a story to, to maybe help set the stage for where we're going today. So back in about, I can't remember what year, it was the, the Christmas time around 2002, I think, uh, we were living up in a Seattle area church up there. It's called Bethany Bible Church, and we were working with youth. And every year, and we do this today here at our church, we send a youth to, to teen leadership conference. It's down in Central Oregon, and it was one of the first times that it had been there uh, in Central Oregon. And so I took a team of, I don't know, it was like eight or nine uh, youth from area. We hopped into a 15-passenger, 1992 Dodge 15-passenger van, okay? I don't know if you remember seeing those things. They were, they were pretty ugly. Of course, any, any van, you know, is not meant to be, you know, attractive, I guess. But, but they, we hopped into this thing. We drove all the way down there. We went to the teen leadership conference. It was a great conference. And as we began to leave, it started to snow. And here we are in this van. And I remember telling the kids, I'm like, all right, as soon as they say amen, we're going to hop in the van and we're going to get out of here as quickly as we can because I don't want to get caught in a snowstorm especially in a van like that. And so here we are, we're going out Muddy Road, which by the way, it's called Muddy Road for a reason. It is, in fact, a muddy road. Uh, by the time you get back, there's more mud on your car than on the road, I think. It's just kind of the way it works. But um, I think you guys know all about that. And it's really fun to clean, isn't it? Yeah, it just kind of stays with you for a year or so till the next year. But as we, we go out Muddy Road and we get on the highway and we start going back, the snow is coming down. It's blowing all kinds of different directions. It's starting to drift across the road. And here I am just kind of white-knuckled, driving this van with a bunch of kids in the van. And I'm thinking, please, Lord, get us home. 
and we get all the way to the Columbia Gorge, and you get down in the gorge, and if you've driven in the, the winter in the Columbia Gorge, you know just kind of how it's like a big funnel of wind, and it just kind of hits you as you're driving into it. You've got the river on this side. You've got the median on this side. You've got trucks passing. Well, you're passing trucks, maybe. You're following trucks, and then you've got, you know, of course, everybody in their 4 by 4s going flying by you, you know, and, and you're just, you're just buried, and you're, you're focused on everything, and all of your senses are at their peak, as you're driving down the road. And I remember getting all the way to Vancouver, Washington. By that time, it, it had turned to rain, and we went to, I think, a jack-in-the-box, and we went to a table, and I sat down, and I was like, oh. I just felt like this huge release. Because all this tension that was built up going and, and, and focused on that road was, was just kind of relieved. And I learned something about that. That when we focus with intensity, it's going to take a lot of energy, but it's going to be extremely productive. And I'm convinced that in our life with, with Christ, God wants us to be focused intensely on Him. He wants us to focus on Christ, and it may take a lot of energy. There may be times where you feel like you're driving through a storm. You may feel like you've got to have all your senses at their peak. But that's the way we're to pursue and pour into Christ. It's hard. But that's what he wants us to do. And you're going to, take, you're going to see that as we, as we move forward. So here's our, our big idea for the day. God recruits, God's recruits are most productive when they march to his drum. Okay? We're supposed to be following God and what he's laid out in front of us. And when we do that, it's going to be difficult at times. There's going to be times where we may feel tired. There's going to be times when we have a lot of joy. By the time we got through that storm, there was a lot of joy that we got through the storm. Now, there was still a three-hour drive ahead, and that, of course, wasn't so joyful because I was already exhausted, and you know, we've got to get there, but, but at least we were through that part of the storm. But when we're focused and we're marching to God's drum, a lot of good things happen. Now, for me, I don't know about you, I'm guessing this is probably the same for you, but the drum that I usually hear the most in my ear is my own. I have a hard time separating and marching to God's drum because my drum is usually so loud. But God wants me to, to pull away from the things I want and wants me to cling to what he wants. And that's going to take a lot of energy. It's going to take a lot of focus. So today we're going to talk about marching on, 1 Peter 13 and 25. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there and, and get ready for it. But we're going to be going through this passage together, 1 Peter 13 25. You'll also be hitting this in your life groups this week. So I trust you can make it to those as you continue to, to look at what God's doing there in those groups and how we discuss His Word together. This is probably the most difficult verse in this passage. But as the one who calls you is holy, you also are to be holy in all your conduct. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Now, if we were to pass out a piece of paper and you guys were all to write down what it means to be holy, my guess is we'd have a lot of different answers in this room. And my goal, my hope, my desire is by the end, we'll all be closer. We may not have word for word the same answer, but hopefully we'll be closer in our answers of what it means to really be holy like God is holy. 
So that's the direction we're going today. Let's pray as we dig into God's Word together. Father, thank you that you have taught us your Word, you've given us your Word, and that we could come to it, we can understand it. There's nothing hidden here, there's nothing secret here, it's your truth, and, and we want to read it, and we want it to, to go into our lives, and not only impact our minds and the way we think, but impact our feet and the way we walk. Father, we want we want to hunger and thirst for you. We want to beat to your drum. We want you to be the one that makes the decisions in our lives and for us to follow you. And Father, as we leave this place, we know there are going to be distractions. There are going to be things that pull us away from you. I, I pray that you would help us to stay focused on following you, as your word asks us to. And these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So how do you become holy? Now we're going to take a look at this idea of being holy here in a little while, but I want to ask this question first of all, how do you become holy? And I think the first step is that we just simply set our, or stay focused on what is and is to come. Okay? We want to stay focused on what is and is to come. Now if you look at the verses ahead, it says, Therefore, with your minds ready for action, be sober-minded and set your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you. Now, when he starts with a therefore, you've got to always go back and say, well, what's it there for, right? And you can go back to what Pastor Luke preached through last week, and that is salvation. Verse 10 talks about the salvation that's come. It's talked about this Messiah that's come that the people in the Old Testament look forward to. And now today we look back on. 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ came and he offered grace and mercy to us. Grace is that gift that we didn't deserve. He gave it. He says, here's my son. Here's salvation. Stay focused on that. You have been saved by Jesus Christ coming to this earth, giving himself on the cross for our sins. But don't forget that there's also a grace still to come. And when he, think, when he talks about that, he, he, I think he's talking about the great fact that you and I have heaven to look forward to. Now, it doesn't take long to go outside and see that that we live in a messy world, right? I mean, there's all kinds of issues out there, all kinds of problems. We know that sin is, is, has its effect on mankind. It has an effect on our own lives. And here we are trying to struggle through it. At one point, maybe you weren't a believer. We were all born unbelievers. So, of course, we were there. Maybe as a young child, you placed your faith in Christ, and you feel like you've been a Christian all your life. But at one point, you were without Christ. And when you were without Christ, you knew what it was like to just be in sin. But then when you came to Christ and you accepted the gift that he's given to you, now you know what it's like to be in Christ but still be in a messy world. And that's the condition that we're all in right now if we've placed our faith in Jesus Christ. But there's something great that's still to come, something even better. And that's a time when we are glorified and we're in heaven and there is no sin around us. We're 100% content. We're happy. We're with our Lord. We're exactly the way he created us to be. That's still to come. And that's what he's talking about here when he says, set your hope completely on the grace that's to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Think about those things. Stay focused on what you already have, which is salvation, and what is to still come. Now, without a doubt, there's going to be times... Well, we'll be distracted. And that's why he tells us, first of all, to be sober-minded in this passage. The idea of being sober-minded, if you go all the way to chapter 5, verse 8, it's used there to say that we are to be sober-minded because our adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. 
Okay, he's, he's walking around. He's looking for opportunities to attack God's people. I don't know if you realize this, but if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, there's a target on your back. And Satan is, is out there saying, hey, I want to discourage. I want to distract. I want to pull people who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ. I want to pull them away from God the Father. I want to pull them away from Christ. I want them to quench the Holy Spirit. And he's actively out there seeking to destroy us that way. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20, talk about how we have this armor that we're supposed to put on. And one of the things it says is we're supposed to have this shield of faith so that we can extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. So here's a question for you. As you leave this place today, you may say, man, I I feel like I've grown in my knowledge of who God is. I feel like I really am passionate to to follow him and step up my game a little bit and, and, and be more passionate about pouring into his word and prayer and all of that. But then 24 hours later, something may happen and you may not feel like that anymore. What is it? What is it that when you leave this door and you go back out into the world, what is it that will keep you from pouring into Christ more? It'll be distractions. It'll be those things that, that Satan is going, hey, I can, I can th- throw this arrow at that person and it's somehow going to distract them from pouring into Christ. Or look at what else he says. He says, don't be conformed to the desires you had in former ignorance. Before you came to Christ, there are all kinds of things we were pursuing, right? Our passions of our flesh, we still have those struggles today. And they're going to come up in our lives and they're going to pull us away from, from God. And one of those things in the next 24 hours is going to impact you and it's going to keep you from pursuing Christ wholeheartedly. Be careful. Be sober-minded do not be conformed. Stay focused on what is and what is to come. Secondly, we want to march with the leader. Well, this takes us back to that verse we looked at right at the beginning. But as one who called you is holy, you are to be holy in all your conduct, for it is written, be holy because I am holy. Now, I want to give you a little bit of an illustration here this morning to try to help us understand what it means to be holy. This is one of those illustrations I have not tried it because part of the fun in doing this is to find out if the person is as good as I think and I believe he is. So as many of you have walked through the doors over here and you've met a guy by the name of Tim Bergren. He's shaking your hand. He's wearing a nice red sweater today, so everybody knows who he is. The guy's, you know, he has a love for the Lord. He's, prayer, he's praying for, I know he's praying for us as a church. He's praying for you. He knows scripture well, but there's something else about Tim that maybe you don't know. And I've come to find out in the last three years of knowing Tim that he is, he is a connoisseur when it comes to food. I mean, all kinds of food. In fact, if, if you have a town that you're going to within a 300-mile radius, maybe 500, and you were to say, Tim, I'm going to this town, I'm pretty sure he can name you the best restaurant in that town. Just, just a guess, but I think it, it might, might be the case. But Tim also, Tim, why don't you come on up here? Because Tim is also, you'll find out, a... A lover of Mountain Dew, okay? And, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bet, I'm going to give him a couple cups here, and uh, we'll have him turn his back, not right now, but we'll have you turn your back, and, and we're going to pour the two different types of Mountain Dews here. Now, we've got the, the original, and I know 
This is Tim's favorite. Okay. This is the, the Mountain Dew throwback. Why is it your favorite? All right, it has real sugar in it. So that's, there you go. I might even give you, give you a mic because we might have you say a few things here. Let's see if this is on. It's not, it's flashing blue. That's red. There we go. Ah, well, there you go. So, okay, it's got real sugar. Anything else about it that just screams out to you when you're driving, you know, walking through the store? It has orange juice in it too. All right. Did you know that? I did not know that. See, I told you. The guy's amazing. All right. Then there's, there's mountain lightning. Okay. Um, I'm going to guess that this would not be your preference. It would be okay, but he's going to check the label. There you go. All right. Might be okay. They have really tried to imitate it well. They tried to imitate it well. See, he even knows all the ingredients. Probably has it memorized and all that. So, All right. So I'm willing to bet that Tim can tell the difference between the two. In fact, I'm, I'm kind of curious. I think that once I pour him in the cups, he can probably just look at them, maybe even smell them and tell the difference. But we'll see. I'll see how much, <laughs> see how much faith we have in this guy. So, Tim, go ahead and turn around. And we didn't, we didn't rehearse this. I didn't tell him which one this is. But, um, so we'll go ahead and pour it in, and then you guys can, can watch and see uh, which, one, which one it'll be. So. I'll see if I can tell the difference just by looking. Maybe they've imitated the color just right. We'll see. All right. So, Tim, you can turn back around now. And uh, we've got one and two. And the audience here is our, our um, what's the, our, whatever name. They I'm just here to verify. Exactly they do the look same. very similar, don't they? How about smell? You do smell? You take a guess before you? <laughs> what do you think? <laughs> I, I think this one's the mountain lightning. I, I hope I'm wrong because this is cheaper. <laughs> <laughs> okay. You'd prefer drinking this than in the future, okay? Yeah, if it's okay. cheaper, if I can like it better, this would be a good thing. All right, well, right. maybe maybe we'll find out. Well, are you confident now you want to determine, or do you want to go ahead and taste test it? Well, I probably should taste it. All right, go ahead and taste test it and see. Oh, man. Mm, okay. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't even have to... See, you didn't even have to try the other one. All right, well. Okay. <laughs> now you know. I mean, is that correct? You are our witness here. All right, there you go. So, so wait, wait a minute. Is there anything else you want to say? What, what sets the Mountain Dew apart from Mountain Lightning, in your opinion? Uh, th- this is a cheap imitation this would be something like, uh, look within yourself and you will find it. <laughs> and this would be something like, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, <laughs> let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run the race marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him 
the authentic one <laughs> who endured go. such opposition from <laughs> sinful men so that you don't grow weary and lose heart. Amen. All right. Well, with that, we can all go home. So there's your, there's your message for the day. Uh, well, Tim knows the real deal, um, both with his Mountain Dew and with his Lord. Christ is set apart. God is set apart. There's nothing that is like him. That's the idea of holiness. I think sometimes we think holiness, we just think of it in, in a righteous sense or a perfect sense. Absolutely, God is perfect. Absolutely, God is righteous. But it's more than that. It's, it's that he is set apart. There is nothing that is like him. Absolutely nothing. And so when it says that we are to be holy as, as Christ or as God, and specifically God is holy here, we are to be set apart. We are to be different. Different from the rest of the world and more like the one who calls us to be his children. That's the idea. So here's, here's a thought for you. Now, when it comes to God's power, his sovereignty, his knowledge, all those kind of things, we will not get to that point. God is God. Is God. We are not God. We are not going to ever be a God or the God. Okay? But when it comes to attributes that are communicated to us, there are what are called communicable attributes, attributes that, we, that, that are true about God that we also can work towards. One of those, and the greatest of those, is, is grace, mercy, and love. So when Jesus Christ walked upon the earth almost, almost uh, 2,000 years ago, for about 30 years, he walked upon people or walked upon the earth and he began to teach people he began to love people he began to put up and have patience with people but ultimately when it came point came to the time when he was to die upon the cross he went before a judge and they condemned him and they put him among other sinners they put him among people who had committed murder and and things like that people that would die for their crimes jesus was put in the same category as those people he was beaten he was laughed at. He was spit upon. He had a crown of thorns pressed upon his brow. He was forced to carry a, a, a cross, a heavy cross, up a hill. He was then lifted after he'd been nailed to the cross. And people thought it was a spectacle. People thought it was so funny. People thought it was, it was the way to kill a criminal. And there our God, there our Savior hung on that cross. And he said these words. To all those people, the soldiers who had laughed at him, the crowds who had screamed, crucify him, he looked over all of them and he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. There's not a person in this room, I'm convinced, there's not a person in this room that could go that far and still love those people. He is set apart because of the love that he has shown to you and to me. And he's asked us to have that same type of love for people. Now that's going to take some real focus, isn't it? We have to be pretty intent on loving people to have that kind of love. Be holy because I am holy. That's the idea I think we have here. Listen, I could come and give you a list of 500 things to do, and it'll be easier to do that list of 500 things than it would be to love people and to love God. 
And that's what was happening at the time when Jesus came and, and walked upon the earth is he had all kinds of Pharisees and they had, they had a thousand things to do. And they said, here's all the things you could do. And then you could become a Pharisee. And, but the problem is they began to see all the other people as people who were inferior. And so they kind of separated themselves and they weren't set apart from the people. Instead, they were separated like, oh, that's you guys. Well, we're, we're more spiritual. The idea of being set apart is like Jesus, when he walked upon the earth, he saw the people who were broken, he saw the people who were hurting, he saw the people who were in their sin, and he loved them, and he cared for them, and he reached out to them because he was motivated by love rather than by exalting himself. So much so, he went to the cross. He could have come down off of that cross, he could have destroyed all those people, he could have revealed his power at that moment, but he didn't. Instead, he revealed his love. And he's asking us to do the same thing. So he says, be holy because I am holy. Now, we may come and say, hey, I don't know that I can do that. God, do you realize how, how difficult it is to love people? And he's like, yeah. But we still come back to him and say, wait a minute, God, do you realize that, that, that my coworker is always saying bad things to me, to my boss? Do you realize that my neighbor is always grouchy every time I drive by? Do you realize that that checker at the the store is is always just like here have your food and walk out you know whatever and we, we're like we can't love people it's difficult to love people and so we appeal to the father who judges impartially according to each one's work peter tells us that when we do that we need to conduct ourselves in fear now that's a different translation here he says reverence this translation but the idea is that we are to come before god and say okay god i'm struggling with this i realize i'm struggling with this Maybe there's some bitterness. Maybe there's some anger in your life. Maybe there's some, some, something you feel towards another person. You're like, ah, I just have a hard time loving them. I have a hard time caring for them. And you come before God, you say, I don't know that I could do it. Approach God in that situation with some fear because he's going to say, I want you to love your brothers and sisters in Christ. I want you to love the world. And if you don't, there may be some discipline. Hebrews 12, 6 tells us that the Lord corrects the people he loves and disciplines those he calls his own. And if we think for some reason that we can kind of go through life just serving ourselves and not caring about him and not caring about others, we're kidding ourselves. God's going to try to shape us into the person and the people he wants us to be. And so we approach God in reverence. We approach him with fear as we live like strangers on this earth because this isn't our home. Our home is in heaven. And that's what we're working towards. That's what we're, we're staying focused on, right? We're staying focused on the grace we've already received and the, the grace that's still to come. And we're just here living as strangers for the moment. But he goes on, he says, for you know that you're redeemed from your empty way of life. Here's a thought. So, okay, you're approaching God. You're saying, man, I really struggle. Maybe God will discipline me. Is God good? Is God just in those situations? Absolutely he is. He's always kind. He's always good. And this demonstrates it to us. Look at what he's done for us. He's redeemed us from our empty way of life. We were going one direction. We were serving ourselves, pleasing ourselves, maybe pleasing people around us. God's, God redeemed us from that. He brought us back from that life. That's the life we inherited from our fathers. He says it's not with perishable things like silver or gold. Listen, it's not those temporary things. He, He bought us with something better than that. He bought us with the precious blood of Christ. This precious blood, he watched his son, God the Father, watch his son die upon the cross, his blood pour out, his life go from him. 
And that blood is what redeems you and I and brings us into a right relationship. And it's not only that, I mean, he, he then communicates this truth to us. It's not like, oh, it just happened in the past. He then tells us through his word, through the scripture that we have, we can read it, we can understand it. But 2,000 years ago, he, he was ro- risen from the dead, and then he has his apostles, and his apostles go out and his, preach the gospel so the good news can go out to people. Here, believe in Jesus Christ and have eternal life. He's good to us over and over and over again. He's good to us. It may not always seem it. It may feel like we're driving through a storm at times. It may feel hard. It may feel difficult. It may even be exhausting. But in those midst, in the midst of that time, he's good to us. And he wants a relationship with us. That's why he says, through him, you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. We have a relationship with him. He brought us into relationship with the Almighty God. So we march on with our leader, with God in the front, with Jesus Christ and his example that he's given to us. We march on with him as our leader. But not only do we do that with him leading us, we do it with the other recruits. We're not alone in that. We have each other to go with. And that's why we have a church. That's why we have our church family. That's why we have our small groups that we meet with regularly so that we can be with each other and encourage each other. He goes on, he says, since you have purified yourself by your obedience to the truth so that you show sincere brotherly love for each other from a pure heart, love one another constantly because you, and I put this, this southern word in here, you all or y'all, maybe, I'm not, I'm not from the south, so any of you who are can correct me later how I say that. But, but the idea here is we don't always see it in the English translation if it's plural or singular when you use the word you. In the Greek, it's clear that he's using you in a plural sense, talking to all of you, okay? So we are to love constantly because all of us have been born again. If we've placed our faith in Jesus Christ, we've stepped into a new life, and it's the salvation that's for all of us. Now, in this room, I'm sure at some point or another, there is a personality conflict with another personality, there's going to be difficulties in a church and in a you know, setting like this. And someone's going to be like, Man, I have a hard time talking to that person over there. It's a good thing they sit on that side of the auditorium and I sit over here on this side of the auditorium. I'm not saying any of you guys are doing that on the wings here, but you might be at some point in time, right? This could be personality conflicts. There could be difficulties that we have over time. Listen, maybe it's the person that even goes to a different church. If you've been in a, in a rural town, I'm here to say there are churches in rural towns that have been split and divided up, and it's like we are this church, and the other family goes to that church. And they don't talk to each other. We have to step back and realize Christ died for both. And it's the same salvation that this family has over here that this family has. And that's why we love each other. It's because we're all bought with the same price. We've all been born into the same family. And guess what? We're all going to spend eternity together. So start liking each other now. Right? We all have the same salvation. And we all have the same eternal life. And it starts the moment we place our faith in Jesus Christ. It's not something that happens after we die. It starts the moment we place our faith in Jesus Christ. We have that eternal life. And then we have the same instruction. He goes on, he says, it comes all through the living and enduring word of God, his scripture, his truth. 
Every single one of us has access to that. We live in a country, we live in a, with a language where we have multiple translations that come from the Greek and the Hebrew, and they're all written so that we can hopefully understand the original language even better. We have all kinds of resources. There's all kinds of podcasts out there. There's all kinds of commentaries out there. There's articles out there to help us understand texts. Here we have the Word of God. It's, It's living, it's active, and it's teaching us. But it's all the same Word of God. And so we should be able to agree for the most part. There's always going to be little things that we read a little differently and we have differences on. But we should really believe and understand the basic principles and teachings of God's word. It all comes to the same instruction. He says, all flesh is like grass, all of its glory like a flower of the grass. The grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of the Lord endures forever. It will not go away. And this word is the gospel. That was proclaimed to you, proclaimed to me. We all are in this together. We're all trying to pursue Christ. We're all trying to pursue holiness and be more Christ-like together. Now, I don't know about you, but I hope when you come through the doors on a Sunday morning that you are encouraged by your church family. I hope and pray that when you walk out, that you leave going, you know what, I'm so glad I came so that I could be encouraged. And I hope that as a body of believers, we are encouraging one another. Now, I'll give you some advice here. If you walk through the doors and you're asking yourself, how can the church encourage me today? You will not be nearly as encouraged as if you walk through the door saying, how can I encourage somebody else today? You understand that? If you come in more me-focused, me-centered, you will not receive nearly the kind of joy and peace and encouragement that you'll receive if you come through the door saying, how can I encourage others? Because then we get to be served by God. Then we get to actually live out his love. We're not asking for people to love us. We're asking how we can love others. And what does God want us to do? He wants us to love others. There's a few things just to consider as we kind of come to a close this morning. One question. Who's number one on your playlist? We started off by talking about beating to a different drum. We want to beat to God's drum. We want to follow his drum and his lead. Who's number one on your playlist? I know on my playlist, number one, I usually get myself up there. (laughs) You know, me. And it could be Rebecca. It could be my kids. It could be my work. It could be other things that come into play there. I'll put those as number one on my playlist, when in reality, that's where God needs to be. That's where Christ needs to be. Secondly, when you look in the mirror, when you reflect on yourself, do you see holiness or do you see a big mess? Would you say, yeah, I am I'm holy like God is holy? And you many of you are like, probably going, no. How could you even ask that question, right? But we're told in Scripture to be holy as God is holy. Are we even moving in that direction? Can you say you're moving in that direction? I hope so. 
So if you see a big mess, because my guess is a large percentage of you are saying, yep, I'm a big mess. Do you know the steps to clean up that mess? Well, if you don't, good. So maybe we'll go through a few here that will help you out. So here's some steps to clean up the mess. Maybe you've already done some of these. Maybe you haven't. Maybe you're struggling through some of them yourself. One, admit your faults. Admit that you're a mess. Okay, Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Some of you may say, I've never done that before, but I understand why. Because I understand God is a holy God. I can never be like him. There's no possible way. And so I am a mess. And if that's the case, great. Then you've made the first step. Secondly, you confess Jesus as your Lord. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, If we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. So we confess with our mouth. I believe Jesus is Lord. And when we confess that Jesus is Lord, it's more than just saying, yeah, I believe he died on the cross. It's that I really believe that he is Lord. He is master. He is Messiah. He's the one who came, suffered, bled, and died on the cross and rose from the dead. And he did that so he could pay the price for my sins, for my mess. And then Romans 10, 9 and 10 also says to believe in our hearts. So it's not just something we utter with our mouths. It's something that we internalize. It's something we really believe. Now you can go through that and you can say, man, I've done that too. I even have a date when I did that. Or I was baptized and I remember that. And I still feel like I'm a mess. Well, then the fourth step is just how are you doing when you follow Jesus? The fourth step is to follow Christ. So it starts with salvation. Like, okay, I've placed my faith in Jesus Christ. I believe that he died on the cross for my sins. I believe he rose from the dead. I've placed my faith in him. Now I have a life with God through Christ. But how are you following him? Matthew 28, 19 through 20, this is what it says. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations. That's what we as a church are trying to do together, to go out and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them, so you, symbolically uniting them with Christ in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then he says, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. What did Jesus command us? Well, there are a lot of things when you read through the, the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you can look at the story of life from each of their different perspectives. But one thing that definitely comes to the forefront is when Jesus says, all the law is fulfilled in this statement. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And in that order, by the way. Love God, pursue Him, follow Him. See how all the commandments talk about pursuing him first. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and then love your neighbor as yourself. It's the, it's the very thing that Jesus demonstrated when he walked upon the earth. Go back and read it. You'll see time and time again, he goes to the mountain and he prays, and he keeps his relationship with his father alive, and he pursues his father, and he pursues the word, and he stays faithful to the father. When he went before the cross, when he was about to be arrested, he goes to the Father. He says, Father, please let this cup pass from me, but not my will, but yours be done. He submits himself to the Father. And then he goes out and he loves the people. So how are you doing with that? It's a struggle, isn't it? God's recruits are most productive when they march to his drum. So how are you doing marching to his drum? How are you doing being more holy? 
Now, as we close, I want to challenge you to do something. You have your, your Connect card. Maybe you have a piece of paper. You can pull out your phone. I'd like you to write this down. I think it's more effective if you write this down. Answer this question. You asked it earlier on, so maybe you're already thinking about it. You already have the answer for this. But if you don't, definitely think about it now. You may be convicted. You may be saying to yourself, I want to pour into Christ more. I want to up my, my time in his word. I want to up my time in prayer. I want to go out there and do better evangelizing or something like that. Maybe you've made some sort of internal uh, commitment to God. But when you walk out those doors, you will be a target. You will have distractions thrown your way, whether it's from your flesh or whether it's from Satan. I'm not sure. But without a doubt, you will be a target. And you've probably repeated this process several times in your life already, right? So this is what I'd like you to write down. This is what I'd like you to think about for a couple minutes here as we close. What is it that Satan will try to throw at you to distract you from pressing into God? In the next 24 hours, what do you think Satan will do? What do you think, maybe, maybe you're like, oh, I don't know if it's Satan or not, it's just my flesh. What are you hungry for that will rise to the top and replace God as first and foremost in your life? Identify that. Now, if you want, you can write it on your comic or your card and you can put it in the in the the offering if you'd like to, and, and I can pray for you if you want. Uh, I'd be happy to do that. Maybe you're like, I don't really want to share that. or That's fine too. It's something that you could pray for. Now, I'll tell you what mine is. When I leave in the next 24 hours, without a doubt, my biggest struggle, the thing that rises to the top in the next 24 hours is I will leave and I will reflect back on the service and I'll ask this question, God, what can I do to help the church be better. And I'll be reflecting on that and spending time doing that instead of spending time with God. And you know what's sad is oftentimes I justify because that's a godly thing, right? But it can take the place of my relationship with God. I can't get more busy and, and think that, oh, okay, God's going to bless the ministry more. He's going to accomplish more through me or anything like that. I have to depend upon him, pour into him, and make sure my relationship with him stays at the top. But without a doubt, those distractions are going to pop into my head. Those, those desires to do things my way, get things done the way I want them to be done, are going to come into my head, and I'm going to have to fight them off, hold up my shield of faith, and extinguish the arrows that come my way. I hope you do too. So think about that. If you haven't written something down, go ahead and write it. Let's, uh, let's pray, and then we'll, we'll close with the last song. Father, thank you that we can open your word and receive this kind of instruction from Peter to be holy as you are holy. There's no other way we want to live. You've demonstrated to us, Jesus, you walked upon this earth and demonstrated what it was like to be holy. And now we're called to follow your teachings and follow your instructions and follow the guidance that you give us. It's extremely hard to put ourselves in that position to be able to say we would love people, even the people that hurt us. 
But just like the church that Peter was writing to, or the people that Peter was writing to, they were being persecuted, they were suffering, and he calls them to love. Lord, we want to love people too. And that requires us to take our eyes off of ourselves and put it on you. Help us to be faithful to do that. And Lord, whatever those distractions are, whatever the, the arrows that are going to be coming at us today, I, help, I pray that you would help us to, to put up the shield of faith and fight them off. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.